0: Thank you, Hayes, Bethany, team. Good morning, church. How are you? And listen, I, I hope in that, those last few moments, you could actually hear uh, the congregation singing, uh, Hayes mentioned this in the first service, but I also just love to hear uh, you sing. I get to be on the front row, so I'm, I'm hearing all of y'all. And, and you might, if you're in the back, you don't hear it as much. You might actually want to, to run up front just a little bit. Uh, I won't bite if you want to come sit up here, I promise. Uh, but to hear the people of God singing is unbelievably encouraging because it means you're not alone. You're not the only one crying out to the Lord. You're not the only one saying, God, I need to be reminded of your faithfulness. Man, I hope you Kind of heard all of the congregation singing. You'll hear even more of that uh, as we end today. Grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, We'll start in verse 8 in just a second. We're taking a couple weeks at the beginning of this semester to talk about a season of renewal. And just kind of take stock of where we are, where we've been, and a little bit of where we're going as We're going to head into this new season, but Ephesians chapter three is where we're going to be as we start. that Ephesians chapter three, verse eight, is where we'll be in just a moment. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question that I'm sure you've thought about in some way, shape or form. It is this: How do you save the world? You know? Am I getting an answer? There are people who want to know. How do you save the world? I say you've probably thought about that before because we all have answers. There's a very easy answer. The way you save the world is through a superhero. That's how you do that. For the past 10 years and more, we've all been going to the movie theaters to watch superheroes save the world. Every Marvel movie that comes out, the stakes are always that high. The world is at risk, the universe is at risk. And that's why we keep going because that is exciting. That is thrilling. And we go, we eat it up. We eat our popcorn. It is a thrilling adventure to watch these heroes gather together to save the world. And, and I didn't just start with Marvel. I really go that all through history of, of movies. You see this, this story cropping up of we like to see these, the world saved. The problem is, is that when we leave the movie theater and we come out of that dark room and the popcorn is all gone, we still find ourselves in a world in need of saving. Do we not? That's where we find ourselves today. Right now in Alabama, there are no free ICU beds because we're all still dealing with a pandemic that is well into its second year that continues to ravage the entire world. We've been watching on the news this week as countries implode and we're asking the question, how did we get here and what do we do and, and how, how would we even begin to help? And we don't know. We would say the world needs to be saved. And that's just on the world stage. That, that doesn't even get into the smaller dramas and the smaller chaos and tragedies that we're all dealing with. But as we look around, we realize that there's no superheroes, no capes, no superpowers, No people like that to turn to, to fix it all, and yet the world still needs to be saved. And so what do we do? How do we deal in the real world in the midst of that? And into all of that chaos, God has an answer to that question. He absolutely sees the chaos of our world, he sees the brokenness of our world, and says, no, I have a plan to actually save the entire world. It's the same answer it has always been. God says there's going to be an answer and that answer comes through my son, Jesus Christ. I am gonna bring salvation, not simply for the temporary problems of this world. I'm gonna bring a solution to all of the problems, to the sin that has broken every single man, woman, and child on this planet, to the death that plagues every single person who has ever lived. I can bring salvation. I can bring eternal life through Jesus Christ. There is a plan to save the world. And that's something that probably most of us know. Most of us believe. It's why you came here this morning. But I wonder if we understand the fullness of that plan where God says, no, though, not only am I going to save the world, but I'm going to involve you in doing it. And that changes the game for everyone. And I want you to see what that actually means in the text today. So look at Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through 10 is where we'll be as we begin Uh, This is just a small section of verses that has always just blown my mind. I don't think I've ever preached uh, specifically on verse 10, but this is one of those verses that just kind of sticks out. Those verses that you read and and you instantly recognize, there's more going on here than what I understand. This verse says more than what I can really put my mind around. So listen to these verses. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus, starting in verse 8. That blows my ever-loving mind. That is a crazy set of verses. There's so much right here in just three verses that, that opens up a window into a world we don't fully understand. Look at some of the phrases you see that. He, he reminds us here at the end that there's literally, there are heavenly places where there are rulers and authorities. We don't even get names for them. He'll say more about that in chapter six, but he says there are cosmic powers, principalities, there's a whole realm here that you and I don't typically see. It's a reminder that there's more going on in reality than what we understand. There's more going on in the universe than what you and I are fully aware of. We get our reality, but there's literally more of that. We're reminded that God created all things, that God, by his will, spoke the universe into existence. And then more than that, he says this, there is a plan, a mystery that's been hidden for ages that God is now revealing. It means that from the very beginning of time, God has a plan. He says, I'm not making this up on the fly. I'm not just adjusting it. From the very beginning of time, I have a plan that I am unfolding. And people have tried to figure it out. They have looked into these things. Even angelic beings long to look into these things. They could not see it. But now God is beginning to reveal this to the world. And what is he revealing? The unsearchable riches of Christ. He says, Paul has this privilege of preaching the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Christ. You cannot get to the end of him. He is that good. He has that much in him. He has that much life. They are the unsearchable riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Just like Paul, anybody, no matter who you are or what you have done, there is a love, there is a life, there is an acceptance in the God of the universe that is unfathomable. And that is what Paul gets to preach, but he understands he hasn't even gotten down to the end of it. But verse 10, you get the craziest thing. In verse 10, it says this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. This incredible plan, these unsearchable riches of Christ are gonna be revealed to the universe through the church Let me get a little bit more specific. This amazing universal plan, these unsearchable riches of Christ are gonna be revealed to everyone in creation through you and me. That is what he just said. And that is mind-blowing and terrifying. Because I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a good plan, does it? He's gonna reveal that through us Not some other people. Really let this sink in. Here's what God just said. For this people who live in this area, in this time frame, here's what God has done. He gave them us. That is a lot of pressure. And that is honestly, I just don't know. I look at that and go, really? Are we the best option? Do you have a plan B? I think you need a plan B. There should be a plan B. There's not a plan B. We are God's plan to reveal his glory to everybody in this area at this time. That's what that passage just said. That ought to blow our minds. So much so that we read this and we might just go run past it. We say, no, that can't possibly be true. Surely he's got like plan, you know, C, D, E, and F. He's God. He's got it all figured out. But no, Paul says, no, this is the plan. You might say, well, how? How does that even work? How, How could we reveal this incredible plan to the world around us? Two things that you and I do as this particular congregation. First off is this. He reveals this plan through the grace of Jesus Christ. He reveals this plan through the grace of Jesus Christ. How did you and I become a part of this church? It's not just because you went through the membership process. How did you become a believer? How did you become a part of the church of Jesus Christ? It is not because you were worthy enough to get in. We are not the best and the brightest. Take a look around. We're not. That ain't us. The church of Jesus Christ is not built of the good enough or the most holy or or the richest or the most powerful or the most talented or or the people who are the most accomplished or, or the most valuable. God does not build his church out of people who have done enough or made enough or achieved enough or accomplished enough. He says, no, my church is made up of the broken, of the sinful, of people who don't deserve it. Paul understands that. Look what he says right here. He says, I am the least of all the saints. Paul says, I do not belong in this church. I used to persecute this church. Paul says, I know for a fact that I used to to chase people down and, and, and torture them for believing in Jesus Christ. I don't deserve to be here. And yet, the great God of the universe loved me and gave his life for me. He saved me when I did not deserve it. He didn't just fail to destroy me. He didn't just give me mercy. No, on top of that, he gave me forgiveness. He forgave me in my sin, but then he went farther than that. Then he loved me, and he went farther than that. He says, no, he accepted me. He adopted me into his very family, and he knit me together with brothers and sisters in Christ. All of this is by the grace of Jesus Christ. When people see us, they look around and go, well, those people aren't okay. They don't have it all together. That gathering of Christians, look at them. They they don't deserve this love. We get to be a living embodiment of the grace of Jesus Christ. We get to be a living picture of the grace of Jesus Christ, that we don't deserve this love, and yet it's been given to us. As a congregation, we reflect that to a lost world. But here's the second thing. We also reveal this mystery through our unity in diversity. We reflect this plan through our unity in the midst of diversity. When you read the letter to the Ephesians, you will instantly recognize that one of the main themes, if not the main theme, is unity. It's mentioned all throughout the entire letter. He wants the Ephesians to be unified, but they're having some trouble in this. Because the Ephesian church is made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers. And these people were just not alike. Culturally, they were just very different. The Jewish believers had grown up in the Jewish faith. They were aware of Moses and and David and Abraham and the covenants and all the stories and the prophets. They had all the the prophecies about the Messiah. They knew the name Yahweh. They knew the one true God. They they were a part of God's chosen people. They they had all these traditions that that went back centuries. They They had grown up in it. All of them had been steeped in this culture and now they had found the Messiah in Jesus Christ. But the Gentile believers were different. They hadn't grown up with any of that. They had totally different traditions. They were polytheistic. They had believed in lots of different gods. They had different moralities. They valued different things, and yet they too had found forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. And God didn't say, hey, put the Jewish believers over here and the Gentile believers over here. He says, no, I'm gonna put you together as one, I'm gonna make you one church. Why? Because in that unity, it is a beacon. It is a reflection of who I am and what I am doing that I am literally going to save, not just one chosen people or one type of person, but no, I literally want to save the entire world, that anyone, no matter who they are or where they've been or what they've done, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Our salvation in Jesus Christ cuts across all lines. It cuts across cultural lines, racial lines, political lines, economic lines, or our personality differences. It cuts across all of those that God grabs these very disparate people, different generations, different ages, different dispositions, different everything, and he unifies them together in Jesus Christ. The gathering of God's people reveals his plan to bring a salvation to the entire world. That's what we do. Just by our existence, God has a plan to reveal all that through the church. You can actually see this in a very particular word. Look at verse 10, uh, and it says this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. That's probably a word we don't use very often. Uh, I just noticed this, that in thy faithfulness, it uses that word manifold witness. Did you see that? It's a very unique word in the Greek, it's a poetic word, it's a compound word, uh, but it but it means this, it means multifaceted. God's wisdom is not monolithic. It is complex. It is multifaceted. The picture is of like a like, like a multicolored tapestry with all the different weavings there or even like a like a bouquet of flowers. Where you look at a bouquet of flowers and it is one beautiful piece, but it's made up of all these different shapes of flowers. They are all different colors. They're at different heights, but you put them all together and it creates this one beautiful whole. That's the wisdom of God. That the more you delve into it, you see all these intricacies, you see all these differences. It is a complex tapestry that God weaves and we literally are a reflection of that as he takes all of our different personalities, all of our different peoples and he weaves them together into this one unique whole. It is a reflection of the very wisdom of God. This is what God is doing through us He says, this is what I want you to be. And so part of God's plan is to reveal all of this through us. And I don't know about you, but that is just a very sobering reality to me. There's just a lot of pressure that is attached to that. That feels, I don't know, it doesn't feel so wise at first, does it not? It feels honestly like it felt when I had to bring my daughter home from the hospital. Parents, do you remember this? When you brought your first child home from the hospital... That is a terrifying thing. When we went to the hospital, I mean, look, we had a baby, it went awesome, but you were surrounded by nurses and people who know what they're doing, right? They do this a lot. They're, they're aware, they understand, and if there's a, a problem or an issue, they're only like 10 feet away, and you can go talk to them, and you can get help, and there's all these people who come in to train you and help you, but after a couple days, they go, okay, time for you to go, and we're like, no! That sounds like a bad idea, please do not send us home. Do you know us? Look at us. We don't know what we're doing. There are no nurses at home. You people are not going to be 10 feet away. You're going to be way far away. And what are we going to do? This just doesn't seem. They're like, bye. Like, I, what are we going to do? And then you go home, terrified. And, and it works out. Kind of. I mean, you know, <laughs> you figure it out. You just, you do all right as a parent. But it is sobering because you are think, surely, you shouldn't be entrusting this life to us. Surely we don't know enough. If you don't have kids, maybe you felt that way when you became the head of a team or the head of a project or you took on a new job or a new opportunity and you recognize, wait a minute, the box has to stop with you. You are now that person. You go, well, wait a minute. I don't know if that's such a good idea because you know you don't know everything. You don't, you don't have everything under control. Hey, the Lord says this. Hey, even though you don't know everything, I'm, I'm gonna do this through you. I'm gonna do this through you for this people right here in this valley at this time in 2021, God in his infinite wisdom has given them us. We are the people to reflect God's glory to this area. And while that's sobering, it is also the reality. And God is inviting us into that journey. The question is, will we join him in his plan to save the world? Will we join him in his plan that he is unfolding? Not our plans. Will we join him in his plan as he brings that salvation to the world? And that answer for most of us would be yes. That is why we came this morning. It's why we say, Adam, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. But we need to be open, or not just open-minded, but we need to recognize that this is going to require some work. Because if we jump onto this plan, it is not always easy. It does require some work. Uh, A lot of times when I I, I talk to different ministers, and I've heard this throughout the years, I hear a lot of people say, Adam, we just want to be an Acts 2 kind of place. We want to be an Acts 2 kind of church. You guys remember what happens in Acts 2? It's Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved. The Holy Spirit falls, fills everybody. Man, it is a massive, amazing revival. For the next few months, God does these amazing things to the people of God. People are getting saved left and right. I mean, it is awesome. Everybody says, man, Acts 2 is great. The problem is the church doesn't stay in Acts 2. It fills itself out throughout the rest of the New Testament. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, the letters to to Ephesus and to Philippi and to Thessalonica and and all these different places, you, you find out that working this out, living out this plan, being the church of God is not always easy. I mean, we see that here in Ephesus and they're having trouble culturally. They're having trouble bringing these two cultures together. It it was hard. It it didn't happen overnight. If you read the letter to the Thessalonians, both of them, you'll find that people have theological problems. They misunderstand the end times. And so you've got busybodies and people doing all kinds of things or people just saying all kinds of weird, false teachings about the end times, things they didn't understand. If you go to Philippi, you'll find problems between leaders leaders. Leaders who all love the Lord, but they don't, are not getting along, and that's causing friction and issues, and it's kind of stumbling some things. If you look at Corinthians, Corinthians, man, they got all kinds of issues they first off they got factions no we like this teacher no we like this teacher my teacher's better than your teacher my teacher can beat up your teacher i mean they had they have all these 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 sides that they want to get on they they got people who are sending their guts out nobody wants to call them out on it And they just kind of let it run i mean you got a lot of issues mean, living this out is easier said than done and yet it is still the plan to save the world God doesn't look at that and say, well, you're done. We're not gonna do that anymore. Throughout all of our ups and downs, throughout all of our flaws, the Lord says throughout the centuries, this is the plan for every people, tribe, nation, and tongue. I'm gonna put my very Holy Spirit in my people and I'm gonna send you forward to reveal who I am to the world. And that is exactly what he is doing through us. And the question is, will we jump on board? Will we enter into that plant in this season as this congregation to be a part of that? So for just a few minutes this morning, what I wanna do is, is I wanna go back through our kind of main core values of how that's going to play out. What does that look like in our space and in our time? And if you've been here at Double Look for a while, these will be familiar to you. For others of you, this might be the first time you're hearing it, but we have three core values here at the church. They are these. They are maturity, community, and charity maturity, community, and charity. And we're not the first church to ever come up with that, but it's a reflection of what we see in scriptures. And here's what those mean. Maturity means this. We want to be Christ-centered in all that we do. We want everything we do to be centered in Jesus Christ. We are to be growing up to become more like him. If you were here last week, we talked about the season of renewal. He said, in that idea of renewal, there is restoration, there is a healing, but there's also a transformation. We ought to be becoming more like Jesus Christ. Over time, we ought to be becoming more like Him. And so that's why we have all these different things at church, whether it be Devil University or these Bible studies or, or worship, we have opportunities for us to mature, to become like Him. Then there's charity, and that means we want to be Christ-connected. That spiritual maturity plays out in the context of a local body of believers. God says, I'm not giving any one of you everything. You're going to need other people. I need you. You need me. We need each other. God puts us in a local congregation and says, together, that's how this is all going to flesh out. You need to have community amongst one another. You ought to know one another, love one another, but that is, happens in the context of Christ connected community. And then thirdly, charity. And by that we mean love. What God says to us is this: is listen, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul mind and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And so God pours His love into our hearts. we then pour that love back out onto one another and onto the world at large. That love should not stay contained within our congregation. It ought to spill out into the world. This is how God continues to reveal who he is to a lost world is through charity, through his love in us poured out into the world. So maturity, community, and charity. But here's the trick with those three things. They are not individualized. They they don't stand alone. They all are interwoven with one another. You can't just pick maturity and then say, well, I'll get to community later. I say, oh, I just want to pick charity and I'll get to, to maturity later. That They're all of a piece. They all inform one another. You need all of them. They happen all at the same time. And I want you to see that in the scriptures. And so skip forward now to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Just a few verses down, and I'll put this one up on the screen. We're in the same letter, just a few verses down from where we just read. And as we read this passage, I want you to look for those three values of maturity and community and charity. I want you to see how they kind of interweave with one another. You'll see all three, but you'll notice how he doesn't talk about one and then moves on to the next. They're all kind of of a piece together. So look at this, Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse one. Uh, Listen to what Paul says. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, verse 11 is really kind of where we focused in the past. Look at what he says here. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you see them? Maturity, community, and charity. This is how we become the people of God. This is how we live out that plan that he has been unveiling for all these centuries. This is how we live out in real time, in our time, what God is doing in us. And so as we look forward into this season, that's what God is inviting us into. If this is the place where God is calling you and said, this is the spot I am placing you in this season, he is inviting us into that maturity, that community, and that charity, And so let's look at those in turn for just a second. First off, maturity. What is he actually asking us here? Well, you saw it in the passage. He says, we are to grow up into the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to grow up into him. So the process of being a believer is not that, hey, we get saved and now we're just waiting for the end. He says, no, we're constantly in a process of transformation, we still have things that God is working out of us. He is, he is kind, of, kind of killing in us. He is recreating himself in us as we grow as believers. As you spend more time in a congregation, it ought to be the case that we are becoming more like Jesus. You ought to see that transformation in yourself. As we head into a new season, you need to recognize that, look, God's brought maturity to you. He's done some things in previous seasons that might prepare you now to do some new things. Maybe some things you've never done before. You didn't think you could do before. God's brought some maturity and says, hey, I I want you now to step into a new role as you continue to grow to become like me. Uh, Again, this is why, though, we offer ways for you to do this. Bible studies and community groups, uh, men's and women's Bible studies, uh, places for you to grow and study and learn, Double Oak University, where you can fill in gaps in your, your spiritual development But you have the choice as to whether I'm going to invest in that maturity or not. Whether we're going to invest and say, listen, I I, I choose this. I choose to continue this process, to put myself in a place where God can continue to transform me. Because I don't know if you recognize this, but we're already starting to get busy. Have you noticed that? Remember right there in the pandemic, we said, oh man, we slowed down. We'll never go back to being as busy as we were. Y'all remember that? And it's already happening, where everybody already is demanding all of our time, everybody's expecting us to do everything, and we just can't do it, which means this, we're not gonna be able to say yes to everything. You cannot. There is not enough time in the day. You're gonna have to make choices, prioritize, and say, where am I gonna invest my life? And the question for us is, is am I gonna invest in my own spiritual maturity? Am I going to invest in my spiritual growth and my family? Am I going to invest to say, God, I need you to continue this process of transformation? And look, we're not just talking about self-improvement here. God is saying, no, I don't just want to help you a little bit. I want to transform you to be who I always made you to be so that you could experience eternal life both here and in the life to come. But that requires a commitment to maturity. Secondly is community. God says, I want you to be a community together. Now, look, we say that word a lot around here. You may have noticed that. It's almost like we're stuck on it. Have you noticed that? That we're double oak community church. If you head across the street, you go to the community building. Earlier in the hour, we wanted you to go to a community group. Have you noticed this? It's like we just like ran out of adjectives and we just kind of said, no, we're just gonna use this one. And that's all we like. But actually like, so we do that On purpose. Because when we say community, we mean something very specific. On the one hand, we are a community church. We want to love this particular area, all right? so we we want to love the people that we see the most. And so that's true, not exclusively, but this is kind of where we spend a lot of our time. But here's what we really mean by that word community. We don't simply mean our geographic location. We are talking about the connections between one another. That we would actually be a family of faith. That we would actually know one another, and look, we invest in this. This is why we talk about our community groups. We invite you to come back and get to know people. We don't want it to just be a nameless crowd. We ought to be people who actually know and love one another, that there are real bonds of relationship between one another. This is key for who we are. And that's not just our type of church. God says, no, I am making you to be one. How many times does the word one show up in this passage? He says the body ought to be knit together in the bond of unity, which means that we've got to invest in relationships. We've got to get to know each other. Now, if you've been here at the church for a while, you know that you probably have that. We invest in it a lot. If you got involved and that happened probably very naturally, you may have been a part of a community group in the past and you say, Adam, I had that. And so for some of us, we're going, okay, Adam, I just want to get back to that. Can we just get back to the way we were? Can we just get back to our relationships? Can we get back to the way things were about two years ago uh, before the pandemic? But here's the problem with that. We mentioned this last week. We are a different people now than we were at the start of the pandemic, We are a different grouping of people now than we were when we started the lockdown back in March about a year and a half ago. We're just different. We are different people and that a lot of things have happened to us, but we're also a different group of people. There's a different group of people in the room now than there were 18 months ago. I've been looking at us and kind of praying about us, and I think it's important for us to understand kind of who's here at Double Oak, and specifically Double Oak Mount Laurel right now, because there's about six different groups here at the church right now. Let me kind of lay these out for you. First off is this. Uh, You've got those who have invested in person. That's probably a lot of you. This is the group I'm in. These are people who have been here in person the entire time, okay, except for the lockdown, and if you're here during lockdown, that's called trespassing, stop doing that. But other than that, (laughs) You, you were here. So Adam, as soon as the doors are open, dude, we're here. We're in. These are my people. I'm invested in, in this place. This is my thing. I'm here, and you're in. This is a lot of our core folks. Uh, and that, again, that might be a lot of you. Secondly, though, we've got those who invested online. There's a whole other group of people who said, Adam, no, I, I'm in. I didn't leave. I was here. I heard every sermon. We, were, we tracked along with everything, but they were doing it online. They were watching the, the, the live stream, they, watched the, they listened to the podcast. They were here every single week, but that's a different experience. A few weeks ago, there was, a, there was a family over here, and I saw them. I said, Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in so long. And they looked back at me and said, Well, we've seen you every week. I'm like, But I haven't seen you in a year that's different. And I instantly realized, wait a minute, we both were in the same service, but we had a very different experience. They had a connection with me that was a little bit different than my connection with them because I hadn't seen them physically for a year. There's a portion of our congregation who's in, they're invested, but but this hasn't been the same as the rest of us. Okay. Then number three, you've got those who drifted. There are people who've just kind of drifted away from Double Oak. Maybe they were you know, not super constant in their attendance before, but especially during the pandemic, they just kind of drifted out. They weren't watching every week. They didn't come every week. They've just been kind of drifting away from their connections here, and that's kind of changed over the course of a year and a half or two years, but, but they don't feel very much as connected. They would still consider this their church, but, but they just haven't been here for a long time. Then Number four, there's people who've left. There's people who've just left double O. They don't worship here anymore. And that's hard for us to see because you're like, are they online? Are they at the campus? Are they at a different place? And yes, we've got folks who don't go here anymore. When you look around, we're we're not the same size church that we were a year and a half ago. But look, those people have left for a ton of different reasons. Please do not make the assumption that because you know why one couple left, that you know why everybody left, because you don't. They're They're all over the map. I've talked to a bunch of them and some of them are really good reasons. Sometimes God just calls people to move to different places. You're going to see that in just a second. But, but some people are not here. So when you're coming back to your community group, it's not the same group of people because not all the same people are coming back. Some of them have gone to be at a different church. Number five, though, we've got those who came during COVID. There's another group of people that started attending Double Oak in the midst of the COVID crisis. I can't tell you the number of people I've met in this category, people who have moved here in the middle of this. They started watching online, and then they started coming, and they said, hey, we really like this. They started coming, and, and these are people who've been here for over a year. These are not people who would consider themselves newbies. They're not anymore. They're in. They know us. They've been through multiple sermon series. They, they know our quirks, but, but a lot of the people who've been here in that first category, you don't know them that well. Do you know why? Why? because you haven't seen them because of all the chaos and COVID. But these are people who are in to our congregation. And then number six, you got people who are coming now. That might be you. You may say, Adam, this is my first week here. Last week was my first week here. Just like every year during August, we typically see a bump up, a spike in attendance as people come to new places. And God might just bring you here now and say, Adam, this is great, but I'm brand new. Okay, that's our church right now. But here's the danger. The danger is, is that we misunderstand the proportions of these groups. Because what we assume is, is that 75% of the church is in group one, or maybe group one and two, that almost all of us are up in there and the rest of the groups are like 5%. And that is not true. There's also the assumption on the back end, if you're brand new and you just came here today, you're in group six, and you said, you just assume that 75% of the church is up in one and two. You said I'm the new guy. I think everybody here knows each other. Obviously, I don't, I just got here, but everybody here already knows one another. That is actually not true. Here's what's closer to the truth. There's about 15% in every group. And that's a whole different ball game. That is a whole different configuration of our congregation. That is a different configuration of our relationships. And if this is our community, if this is who God is calling us to be now, then we're gonna have to do some work to reconnect with one another. Even for those of us who might be in groups one or two, you say, Adam, I've been here. Guess what? There's a lot of new people. There's gonna be new dynamics in community groups. There's gonna be new people with new giftings we're gonna need to get to know. God might be using you in a a new way. Hey, guess what? We're all gonna have to really invest in reconnecting with one another. And P.S., this is not just our church. This is every church in the area. I'm talking to all the pastors. We're all seeing this. God is doing something in the entire church of Birmingham and probably in the country, okay, where he's just moving things around. But if we are going to have true community, we're going to have to invest in getting to know one another, invest in community groups, invest in new friendships, invest in spending time to know one another. It's not going to happen overnight. But if we are God's plan, it is imperative that we actually get to know one another once again, not who we were, but who we are today. That is the state of our community. And then thirdly, and finally, there's charity. God says, I want you to love one another. I hope you notice this in the passage. In verse 11, he says, he gave the apostles and prophets, evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Did you catch that? Not equip the elders, not equip the pastors, not equip the full-time people but that the job of all of those people is to equip the entire congregation that we would then do the work of ministry out in the world. God has gifted every single one of you, if you're a believer. He's given you very particular gifts. He's doing very particular things in you, and if he has brought you here at this time, he says, how then does God want to use you to pour his love into other people? We talked about Give night at the beginning of the service. Listen, you, you might have, have a new organization or know a group. You, God might call you to, to volunteer in a new place or to serve in a new way. But God says, listen, I, I want you to love one another. Don't assume that somebody else has made that phone call. Somebody else has gone to see them. Somebody else has taken them a meal. Somebody else has done this. What if we just decided to say, man, regardless of whether somebody has or not, I'm going to choose to just pour out the love of Jesus Christ on the people of this congregation and on the people of this area? What happens when we become a people who shamelessly lavish the same grace that has been given to us in Jesus Christ on the people around us and on the people all in this area? When we do that, this is what reveals who God is and what he has done to a world that is desperately in need of salvation. This is God's call for us today, right now. Not for some other group, for this group of people, the very same normal people sitting, relatively normal people sitting next to you in this room. This is his call for us. The question you and I have to tackle is, Are we going to join the Lord in his plan to take that love and salvation to a world in desperately need of it? So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. What is God calling you to do? With heads bowed and eyes closed, that, that may be a question you've thought about before, but maybe it's not. Maybe we just kind of assumed we could just pick up where we left off and, and go back to things as, as usual, but we can't. Maybe you just started coming to Double Oak and you thought maybe it'd, be, it'd be forever before you really felt at home here, or, or you could be a part of what God is doing, but what, what if that's not true and you could jump in immediately? What if we just expected that we would go back to serving in the same way we've always served, but God has a new opportunity for you or a new way to love and serve in this coming season? Regardless, God has you here today. He's trying to say to you something today. God has led some of our people to be at other congregations. He's led people from other congregations to come be here. That's some of you, by the way. And said, hey, in this season, I want you here. In this season, in this configuration, I I need you here. What would it look like if we just said yes today? I know we're still broken, we're still healing, we're still being restored, but we don't have to wait to be fully restored to continue being transformed. What if we chose today in this season in all of our messiness, simply to say yes, say, God, I don't, I don't know how you're going to do it. but if we're your plan, we choose to say yes. We cannot do it. We cannot affect that change, but God, you can through us, and so we choose that. What would that look like? And so, Father, help us. God, we come to you, broken, we come to you in need of healing. We come to you unworthy. It's exactly how you found us when you adopted us, saved us, changed us, and made us a part of this church. And Lord, for whatever reason, you you put us here in in this season. And so Lord, could you stir our hearts together, those here, those in the, the first service, those who need to come, those who need to come back. Lord, for whatever you're doing in us, in this area, at this time, Could you do your supernatural work of transforming us and uniting us and sending us out in your love to do your work of ministry? If we're your plan, Lord, we just say yes. If you'll help us, if you'll equip us, if you'll transform us, we say yes. And Lord, I can't wait to see what you do. In your name we pray.